And we are live. How's it going? It's a rainy day here. It's uh, kind of overcast, but that's okay. It's a good day to be inside to read and to get some important thought work done. Wouldn't you agree? So my name is John. Welcome. This is, I looked it up. This is actually like episode 103. I've done a lot of these. It's pretty incredible. But this one is called After Deconstruction Part 2. And raise it or lower it is the the subtitle. This time we're going to talk about the Bible. And I would love to uh, challenge all of us to think about it differently, the Bible. So this series, I want to talk about after deconstruction. I think a lot of times, or at least it seems to be the fad right now, that people are disenfranchised or cynical about church, and I would like to move on from that, because at some point, you have to move on and into this creative thing of rebuilding your faith, or letting it evolve. We could also say that, letting it blossom further from what we thought it should be. So, welcome. This is the second one, and uh, I think in order to do this one well, I have to tell you three quick stories, all right? And then we're going to talk about, well, the whole thing's about the Bible, but welcome, cheers, let's do this. So I think my first legitimate argument about the Bible, you got me, is uh, it happened a number of years ago. And there was a bunch of us, there's probably about seven or eight of us that were all going through seminary, which is like pastor college, or we were in the midst of passing around books among one another, and we started to have a very heated conversation around a golf cart. And I remember all parties were getting quite um, animated, excited, Livid, <laughs> just a lot of things, and it's because all of us took the Bible very, very seriously, and that's a positive thing. But what to do with it, and how to read it, and how to respond to it, how to treat it seriously, was disagreed upon by all of us, and that was very fascinating. And I think that was the first, um first moment when I realized, oh, there's a variety of interpretations of how to understand this collection of letters and books and ancient writings. And uh, honestly, that day, we didn't come around to an easy answer. I think we actually agreed to disagree and each walked in our different directions for the rest of the day. But uh, that was fascinating. That was just fascinating. Now then, the second time, I was teaching a class, I think it was two summers ago, and I was teaching a class, and all of a sudden, the question was presented that asked, John, do you think the Bible is true? And I said, absolutely. They said, no, do you believe it happened? I said, what what do you mean? I said, do you believe that the events of the Bible happened? I said, of course, they're all true. And this person, well, what do you mean by true? 
and I could tell they were getting defensive. I said, well, true can be in a different, a, a multiplicity of ways, right? It can be an arrow flies true, your compass is true, the wisdom of a proverb could be true, a parable could be true. It's more than just historical truth. You have to always analyze what kind of truth are we talking about here. And it was quite obvious this person was not feeling it. Uh, I think the, the passage in, in context was Cain killing Abel. The person said, do you believe the story is true? I said, absolutely. And then I followed that comment with, but if you were to go walk through the desert where we think it might have happened, even if you were to find the skeleton of Abel, it'd be very difficult to prove that that was the skeleton of Abel. So I said, let's not get too stuck in asking whether or not this happened, and let's ask about what truths can be learned from this story. Because until you make the shift away from the historicity and ask what does this story mean for us, then you're never going to get around to the question of what does this story mean for us? And I think that's the question we have to ask because that's why the original authors wrote that story down. Third story, um, I have the opportunity to lead Bible studies and every so often you get into a conversation where someone might be using the exact same vocabulary, you feel me? But they mean very different things and you can kind of feel it between the words, they're like, oh, we're using the same vocabulary, but you and I do not agree on how to read this book. So I have found myself having multiple conversations about the Bible. Now, what I have found is that you can have two potential problems when reading the Bible, all right? It's either one, you can have way too low of a view of the Bible. You can think of it as like regressive fairy tales or laws that are behind the times, right? You could just say it's just a collection of myths, and so then you can just discredit the entirety of the whole thing. And that would be the fallacy or the mistake of treating it way too low. But you can also do the opposite and treat it way too high. You might have noticed I don't use the words uh, of infallible or inerrant in one sense because the Bible itself doesn't describe itself in those ways. So let's, first off, let's just use the vocabulary that the Bible itself uses about itself. And second point, uh, all of us have to stop and realize that the Bible is a collection. It's like a library, and no one walks into a library and says, is this library infallible or inerrant? Right? Because you're like, well, hold on. We've got like Aesop's fables over here. We've got poetry over there. We've got genealogies over there. We've got history over here. We've got biographies over there. We've got letters over there. It's you don't use those words with those genres of texts. So what I'm going to propose is that we actually take the Bible 
appropriately seriously. And that means that we've got to think about it in ways that it talks about itself, but also talk about it in the form of theology and also in the form of just literature. All right? So here we go. You might find yourself as someone who takes the Bible too low or too high. And that's an okay starting point, but I'm going to say that we either have to raise it or lower it and put it in its proper place. Because, and this is a definition I put down here. To me, the Bible is a legacy of awe. It's a library of eternal truths and discussions, open-ended discussions that aren't finished yet. It also contains the written testimony that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and is the full disclosure of God to humanity. Ooh. So it's, it's really a, an impressive collection of writings. Okay. All right. However, and let's get into the thick of it. I have a list here. The problem, do you hear that? There's like a car horn outside that's just going crazy. I'm going to go right through it. You know it's time. I'm going to close the window. That's annoying me. There we go. Okay. You know uh, it's time to rethink the Bible when, and I have 10 things here, all right? You know it's time to rethink your view of the Bible when, one, it's used by you or others to justify abuse. If it somehow finds a way to reinforce racism, classism, sexism, you've already got a wrong view of the Bible. Time to recess. Two, it's time to rethink the Bible when you allow it to completely think for you. Now, that one might get a little tricky because some people want to read the Bible as if to know exactly what it says you should think and do. But I I think it's more of an invitation to a discussion because it might speak very well to what should be done in ancient Near Eastern first century culture, but we've got to have a, a nuanced discussion about its principles and what does that mean that we should do with it today in the 20th century, the 21st century, you, right? Okay. Well, and also when you let it think for you, it's also a form of biblical brainwashing. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't let the Bible influence the way that you think it should, but, but don't let it overtake you because we're supposed to be listening to spirit, not just what things have been said in the past. Case in point, uh, really fast. The Apostle Peter was told by God to start eating particular meats that usually were, according to Jewish law, off limits for him. And so that would have been an instance where, had he chosen, in Acts chapter 10, is it, to continue following the old tradition, he would have been biblical, but he would not have been listening to spirit. See what I mean? And so we've got to be careful. Are we following biblical tradition here? Or, or is it time to actually listen to what new things spirit might be saying today? And that is a hard conversation. 
Number three, you know it's time to rethink the Bible when it is used to stop conversations rather than start them. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and in the midst of it, they just bring out the Bible says X and then they don't want any further conversation? Well, that means that they've used the dialogue or they've used the Bible in a dialogical sense to shut down a conversation that maybe was challenging them. We're supposed to always wrestle with it, and that's okay, but be careful. It's supposed to be the start of conversations, not the ender. Number four, you know it's time to rethink the Bible when it tells you who you shouldn't love. If there are people that are allowed to be counted as the enemy or allowed to be scapegoated or allowed to be victimized, then that means you're using the Bible in such a way to avoid growing in compassion. And that's the opposite of the goal of authentic Christianity, if you ask me. Number five, it doesn't challenge how you live your life. There we go. So if you ever read the Bible in such a way that it just always confirms what you're already doing and doesn't ever sting your conscience, then you might be reading the Bible, but you might be reading it with a highlighter and avoiding the passages that maybe point out where you got to shape some things up. And we all have to do that. That's, that's a hard one. Number six. You know, it's time to rethink the Bible when it protects the status quo rather than exposes it. Oh, gotta love it. Status quo just means like the uh, the base of operations, the the median level of let's just keep doing this because there's no conflict. But sometimes you gotta shake the game up because some people are getting stepped on by others. You know. So here we go. Number seven. You know, it's time to rethink the Bible when it is just seen as fiction or fairy tales because it's way more than that. Way more than that. No one would go to their death or travel across the world for fairy tales. No one would be like the Apostle Peter and crucified upside down for things that he knew were just fictions myths, fairy tales. He was so convinced of the stories and the things that he experienced that he thought the things he experienced were more important than death. And as far as I know, no one has voluntarily allowed themselves to be killed for a fairy tale. Mm. Okay. Number eight, if it is seen as behind the times rather than ahead of the time, uh, It kind of goes back to this idea that we always assume that the Bible is regressive. Well, not we, and not always. That was an exaggeration. However, um, our world might have gotten more sophisticated technologically, correct? But our souls are not more sophisticated. Our heart is not more sophisticated. Our uh, insecurities or jealousies, our loves, our wisdom, they're not more sophisticated. Humanity really 
is very much exactly the same, even 2,000, 3,000 years later. And so we should maybe keep reading the Bible because maybe it's actually still ahead of the times in terms of the evolution of what our hearts and our souls should be thinking, feeling, doing. All right? Oh, that's a good point. I like that one a lot. Number nine, it doesn't waken you to more compassion, mercy, justice, love. If your reading of the Bible allows you to maintain the same level of compassion and only care about your friends, but not start caring about people who are not your friends, if your understanding of the Bible doesn't challenge you to have more mercy and to want to withhold punishment, even from people that deserve it, you've got some questions. If your reading of the Bible doesn't make you more interested in justice, but allows you to keep turning a blind eye and just saying, you know what, that's just the way things are. That kind of goes back to the status quo. It's not helpful. And of course, if it doesn't constantly challenge you to love more, to love more deeply, to love more truthfully, then you're missing the point, bud. You're missing it. And then lastly, if it doesn't lead you into greater wonder, joy, and I'm going to say love again, then, man, you've missed the boat. Because this collection of writings, it still sparks wonder in me. I have been, in the past two years, read straight through with commentaries, the books of Leviticus and Job and Ecclesiastes and now the book of Hebrews, and I promise you, I was born and raised in the church, and it's still surprising me. And it's still challenging me to rethink how I think about the world. All right. So those are 10 reasons how you know it's time to rethink the Bible, or when you know it's time to rethink the Bible. But the problem is when the scriptures are not understood as religious text and is interpreted as something other than that. So we, we don't really have a good understanding in at least the Western world of how to interpret biblical or religious texts. We, we fail to recognize that these are mythological in the positive sense. They're archetypal. They are, there's symbols and there's themes that are just eternal. And when I say myth, I don't mean it's a made-up story. I mean, this is a story that can ground someone for their whole life. And it's almost like it's a Rubik's Cube. Um, you know, like a three-by-three three Rubik's Cube. You might be getting really good at <laughs> Rubik's Cubes. But let's say you had one and you're making all the necessary turns, and you're looking at it from all the angles, and you're one step away from making the final turn that makes all, what is that, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six sides, finally all have the right colors. And let's say you're doing it, and you're like, all oh, right, and here we go, about to solve it, and then click, you make the final motion, and then all of a sudden, your three by three Rubik's Cube transforms and expands into a four by four by four. You're like, oh, so then you go at that a little bit more, that mystery, and you do the necessary turns, and you look at it from all the angles that you can. You're just about to understand it, just about to solve the 4x4x4 four 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 Rubik's Cube, and click, 
and boom, it expands again into a five by five by five Rubik's cube. You're like, oh my gosh, is this just an endless puzzle that will just keep expanding? The answer is yes. The Bible is a Rubik's cube that will keep expanding at the precise moment you think you have it understood. And so then at that point, it's a question of, will you give up wonder and move on and drop it and go on to something else? Or will you continue in your pursuit of wonder? Ah, there we go. Now, I've had uh, conversations with people about the Bible, obviously for work, but also outside of work. And there's something that we always need to realize. And I've made reference to this before, but I'm going to expand it even more. There's three ways of understanding how God speaks to us. Okay, God first speaks to us through the person of Jesus, his body, the person, the work. Then second, through the Bible. And then third, through good preaching or books or things that kind of resonate with the same themes. But here's the thought. We, in the Christian tradition, talk about Jesus as being 100% human and 100% divine. There's 100% both. Now, if we say that about Jesus, now follow me, that means we should also say that about the Bible. And we have to hold those things in tension. The Bible itself is 100% human and 100% divine. So if you have a a low view of the Bible, you will probably say it's just 100% human and has nothing of divinity in it. Or you might go the opposite route and have way too high of a view of it. And you'll say it's 100% divine and there's absolutely no human involvement in the creation of this book. But the real tension, the real brilliance is to do both. And to realize that the Bible is 100% human and 100% divine, just like the person of Jesus. Oh, see, that's a game changer. And then we also can apply that to a really good sermon. Really good sermons are actually 100% human and 100% divine. And sometimes we fall into saying, oh, it was all human, no divinity in it whatsoever. Or we do the opposite and say it was 100% divine, no, nothing human. We're not good at sitting between the tensions. We love to choose the either or. And I think, as I said just now, a lot of us have that approach to the Bible. So that's the question. Do you need to raise or lower your understanding of the Bible? So let's, let's break that down just a moment. If you have a low view of the Bible and you think it's 100% human, then that means that you'll think that it is completely fabrications, full of errors, full of cultural expectations, but nothing that's actually challenging. You might think that it will only reproduce the prejudices of the original authors. And then you'll even say that it is a text for dominating or for abusing or oppressing. 
Yeah. But let's say you do the other thing and you see it as 100% divine. Well, that means that you will look at every single verse as equally important because every single word of it is 100% divine. And then you have to ask the question, well, what do we do with passages that disagree with each other? What do we do with the gospels that have different accounts of how Jesus was raised from the dead? If this is 100% God and God doesn't make errors, then what do we do with the fact that the Bible has disagreement? What do we do with the fact that there's passages that say you reap what you sow while also having books like Job that say you don't always reap what you sow. Sometimes things just happen because of forces outside of your control. And so when you have a too high view of the Bible, you're going to be led into certain conflicts that you won't know what to do with and because you're supposed to hold them all with equal importance. And then what usually happens is you'll choose whichever one reaffirms your own current view. And then you'll discredit the other ones that disagree with whatever worldview you already have. But that's that's the advanced player mode. That's where we need to ask, okay, beginner mode sees the Bible as either or. Is it all human or is it all divine? Or do we level up at a certain point and say, let's go and say, how do we hold it as both? And I was having a conversation with some people in the midst of a Bible study class, and someone said, listen, <laughs> the Bible is the word of God. I was like, okay. And then they said, and Jesus is the word of God, so the Bible is Jesus. And I, I couldn't help but disagree. And I said, no. I don't think the Bible is Jesus, but I think the Bible definitely points toward Jesus. In some sense, because you've got to stop and just say, I'm going to put trust in something greater than this human and divine book and put my trust into a human and divine person. And I think that's actually what the Bible is, is geared towards. It's supposed to be a, a testimony, a witness, a martyr toward the human divine, the God-man, Jesus. Okay, let's wrap this up. So this one was titled, After Deconstruction, Raise It or Lower It. And we're talking about the Bible, and we're talking about how you might have to change the way you look at it. But here's the, the troubling thing is that we all have a community bias. It's hard to start all of a sudden disagreeing with how your community might look at the Bible. Right? And some of us might belong to, to particular gatherings that maybe have too high of a view of the Bible. And we realize we need to lower it so that we can keep the God-man Jesus in the proper place. But you might also be around other people that think very, very lowly of the Bible, and you're starting to think very highly of it. Or at least you're starting to raise your understanding of it. Be like, you know what? This thing is really kind of impressive. 
This thing is sparking more wonder and joy and love and mercy, and my heart and soul are expanding as a result of reading the mysteries that are locked within this Rubik's Cube of a book. You might find yourself having a higher view of the Bible than the rest of your community, and that's okay. Because all of us need to be challenged to be, mm, not in the middle, all of us need to be challenged to a proper view of the world and certainly of the Bible. And it's very easy when you're going through deconstruction to just give up on putting the Bible in its proper place. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of thought energy. But you know what? You just go in the direction that sparks more wonder, joy, love, mercy within yourself. And chances are that will be the best direction for you to go. Because I am convinced that the Bible is given for the purpose of helping us to grow, to expand, to thrive, to uh, dive into this thing that Jesus calls the parasuozoe, which is the abundant life, the life that exceeds beyond the limits. So follow in that direction. It's going to be easy to fall into and stay stuck in cynicism in either direction of thinking the Bible is too low or it's too high, but I would say, come on, join us. There's a bunch of us that are looking at this book as though it's 100% human and 100% divine, and we're wrestling with what it means to say that this collection of writings is both of those things. Come on, join us, because there's a few of us that are still sparked by wonder whenever we read this book. There's a few of us that are almost addicted to being corrected and being challenged by this book. Come on, join us. It's interesting. It's a, it's a fantastic ride, and it leads us into everlasting and uh, generational questions and discussions. Come on, join us. It's a good time. So listen, wherever you find yourself, however you relate to the Bible, I challenge you to examine how you think about it. Because a lot of us just have opinions about it, but we never stop to examine our opinions about it. And when we start to do that, maybe that's when, like a Rubik's Cube, we start to understand it and it keeps unlocking and growing in mystery and wonder and love. It's all good. It's a good ride. So I challenge you, wherever you are, maybe you need to raise it or lower it, but no matter what, keep reading it and follow it in whatever direction helps you to grow in mercy, wonder, joy, love, pursuit of justice, all of these things. All right? That's all for this time. Next time, we're going to talk about, oh, creation. Oh, we're going to talk about the Genesis poem, I think. And not only that, we're going to talk about a world that keeps on evolving. All right? I'll be next time. Thank you. Have a great day. Grace and peace.